0: Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 finals. all thanks to McDonald's. backers together and loving it. TNCs apply.
1: From the grassroots to the elite, from the juniors to the pros, covering the Aussies trekking the glows to the champions internationally, welcome to the first serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, your open space specialists. GLG, celebrating 25 years of industry expertise and exceptional service. Find out more at glgcorp.com.
2: Welcome to The First Serve. It is your home of tennis and uh, great to be back for another week. Uh, Brett Phillips in the chair tonight as tennis makes its professional return in the next few hours on the women's side in Palermo in Italy. We've seen a stack of exhibition events over the last few months, but Palermo marks the return of pro tennis. The term fluid has been used a lot during the coronavirus pandemic. It certainly applies to the most global of sports like tennis. And tonight we bring you the latest globally with Sam Groth and the New York Times Tennis Correspondent Christopher Clary. We also chat to a listener on the other side of the world who discovered us and we go inside the tennis menu. More on that to come. But as we go to air tonight, the USTA does continue its plans to stage the US Open and host both the US Open and the Cincinnati Open at the Billie Jean King National Tennis Centre. Entry list deadline for the US Open is this week. From an Australian perspective, Ash Barty, Nick Kyrgios and Sam Stozer all confirming they'll be non-starters for New York. Alex Dimonor, our top Aussie male, on the entry list for Cincinnati. We're certainly getting mixed attendance responses right throughout the world and that is where I did start my conversation with the 2015 Yukon medalist and a regular on our show, Sam Groth.
3: Yeah, we are. And I, th- I think that's going to be probably what's going to happen across the board, not just from the Australian players, but in general. I think until... The USDA and the U.S. Open actually releases their full plan. I think players are still waiting for that. Obviously, they've been given information. They've been given you know, where the hotel is and how many guests they can have. But you know, they're still working with the authorities there, the health authority, the state of New York, to come up with this full health and security plan, which they're saying they're going to release, or they put out a statement saying they're going to release that closer to the event. Now, mm. I think a lot of players are still going to wait for that exact uh, information dialogue to happen before they can make. An educated decision. Now, people like Ash and Nick right now and, and Sam are saying, well, based on what we know, it's not safe enough to go. They've made a decision from that sort of broader information and from what they're seeing in the United States and, and in New York. But I think until we get the exact information that players and I think right up until you know, they have to actually get on a plane to go to New York I think we're going to see people gradually drop out but there's also other players who like Naomi Osaka weren't going to play the Western Southern Open the first event that's being held in the bubble prior that now sort of think that well things are going better than I maybe thought and she's taken a wild card into that event as have a number of top players women players and you've got to think that that means that she's going to then go and play the US Open.
2: The interesting twist over the weekend is the Madrid situation now because as we've yes. spoken about, this has been the sticking point US back to Europe getting in do we have to quarantine or not quarantine and now it looks like with the reports of the coronavirus outbreak in northern Spain that it looks like Madrid is now going to be off the cards that, that, that announcement seems fairly imminent. Well
3: that was the statements I was reading as well and you know, they've been advised by the, the medical authorities there that this tournament shouldn't go ahead. Now, they're going to rely on the owners of the event and the tournament director to make the final decision. But when you're being advised that strongly that something shouldn't happen, um, you know, are the players going to have faith in the tournament if they do decide to go ahead with everybody else telling them they shouldn't play I mean you can't imagine with what we're seeing reading out of Madrid right now that that event will happen and you start to wonder then if that event doesn't go ahead well then do more people say well I will go to New York because now I've got a week there to come back Mm -hmm. if I have to quarantine obviously you know, It depends on what the rules are, but a guy like Rafa, for example, you know, now I've got a week to get ready for Rome and then for Roland Garros. Does that become more enticing for a player to then go to New York with that week's break?
2: Well, it's almost a case now that, I mean, we see our own situation here going into stage four. I think I've heard reports in the last five or six hours that, you know, Britain is considering a tighter lockdown. How does that affect other countries in Europe? Maybe players are saying, well, this is our chance to actually earn some money because, yeah. Who knows? The rest of the tennis year could be totally shut down. We've already seen what's happened in Asia. So you're right. I mean, there would be a lot of decisions for the players to weigh up at the moment. Some, it seems more simple. They're just saying, no, I'm just wiping 2020. But for a lot of others, they're looking at the bank balance. They're looking at their life in general and thinking, well, it's a chance we'd actually get a few dollars in the pocket and I'm going to
3: maybe take the risk. Yeah, that's, that's a great point that you make. And, and whether it's the right thinking or the wrong thinking, the US, they they thrive on their sports. We've seen the NBA come back in a bubble. We'll see the PGA Tour being played. They're going to play one of their majors next week. we're seeing these events start to come back in the US, you just think that they think well we're going to go ahead, we're going to do it and then the players, I agree, they're going to go well maybe this is my chance to actually play some tennis this year, I've put my hand up to play an exhibition, great but here's a chance to play a major I think you'll find there'll be a lot more people go than we probably initially expected when we started having this conversation I think a lot more players will commit to go
2: Yeah. So the US Open at this stage is all systems go. highly doubtful about Madrid, the Italian Open is now confirming no spectators in Rome yeah. and the French Open still sticking with their plan of around 50 to 60 percent capacity, although that could certainly change. So it's interesting to see with the tour kicking off on the women's side this week. I mean, has put together a yeah. you know a pretty decent field. Uh, Petra Matik von Drusova, French Open finalist last year. Maria Sakari good talent. Condovate, Yastremska, Vekic Mertens, really good players on that side, that top thirty. Simona Hallop obviously was gonna play Palermo out of that. She's likely to play Prague with Benchic, uh, Rybakina, you know, really impressive young player on the Rise and Lexington due to get underway next week with Serena and Venus, Sloane Stevens, Emma Samova, Sabalenka, Conta, Kim Kleister's the names mentioned in that field.
3: Yeah, and I, I think I said it yesterday on the Today show in the morning when I was on there. Craig Tyler and his team are going to be watching what happens so closely as well. You're thinking about a Roland Garros tournament there, they're gonna have fifty or sixty percent spectators. Mm. They'll be watching and seeing how these other tournaments go, what they do well, what doesn't work. I'm sure there'll be a lot of, of thought and discussion and you know they've got a lot Longer to plan for an Australian Open here, and the players maybe you'll get a little glimpse in New York and maybe at Roland Garros as to what a bubbled tournament would look like. But you've got to think that with us being optimistic about getting tennis back down here at the start of the year and trying to kick off a 2021 calendar sort of in some sort of normal way, hopefully we get an ATP Cup, we get the events in, in Sydney and Brisbane and Adelaide and Hobart and everything that we do. But I know that Craig and his team, they're going to be watching these next few months extremely closely while forward planning for that
2: January. Just one on, on curiosity, I mean, he's got a, you know, a bit of criticism. I think Little unfairly copped a bit of a whack on the project uh, last night, for just his style, I mean, that is the way Nick presents himself, either like it or not, and I I don't always warm to it, and I've been open and honest uh, about that, but I'm, I'm trying to see the more holistic Nick over a period of his life, because we all change as we get older, and you know, he makes a lot of sense in the last um, few months, but, but it's interesting, he was sort of having a, a whack at the players, but also saying the USTA has every right to hold the event, I don't begrudge them holding the event, so I was a little, maybe a little bit confused by the messaging, but that is the way Nick goes about it. He's made a stance and he told us all about it on the weekend.
3: Yeah, it was obviously a pre-planned statement that he came out with and I think none of us thought he was going to go. I mean, it would have been quite hypocritical a little bit with how vocal he's been about not playing in these events and then for him to go to New York, I think it was inevitable that he was going to withdraw. But I think it was, again, it was a constructed statement but it's also smart because someone in his team, obviously, whoever put together, whether it was his agent or whoever or whether it was Nick himself working with those people but you know, to acknowledge that Some people do need these events to go ahead. The people working on them, everyone wants to get back to work. Now, whether that's playing tennis, someone working behind the scenes, people want to get back to work too. So him saying the event shouldn't go ahead, it affects more than just him and the playing group. It's a lot bigger than that. I think we always discuss the effect on the players. Obviously, they're the, the front facing people of every event, but everything that's happening right now and trying to get tennis up and running again is bigger than just that playing group. It's about the whole sport and the whole sport needs to get back on court. At some point, tennis has to start again because otherwise it's going to lose that global interest and none of us want that to happen.
2: Great to have Grothy with me opening up uh, the show and and giving us his take. And after the break, we'll head to the US to get the view on the ground. You can keep up to date with the world of tennis via our website, thefirstserve.com.au. You can go back and listen to all our past live shows and our podcast, Aussies Only, Crunching the Numbers and our latest edition, In the Huddle. Uh, produced by Study and Play USA. Plenty of written content there as well, all part of our additional content to complement our show here each week. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and also Instagram. We're here thanks to Top Agents Real Estate, servicing all of Melbourne. If you live here or looking to move to Melbourne once we get out of stage four lockdown and we become a little more appealing, looking to buy, rent, sell, or have that property investment managed, make contact with David and his team, 955 845 or top-agents.com.au and you can follow them on Facebook and Instagram. This is The First Serve,
1: your home of tennis. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. GLGCorp.com.
2: Welcome back to the First Serve, your home of tennis. Uh, each and every Monday night, Brett Phillips with you. A look inside the tennis menu and we'll catch up with a First Serve listener on the other side of the world still to come. But Christopher Clary is the New York Times tennis correspondent, a longtime international sports columnist. I run into Chris at all the slams. He jumped in the SCN commentary box with us at the Australian Open back in January. I caught up with him earlier this morning just north of Boston and asked him could anything derail the U.S. Open going ahead from here?
4: You know, it's a great question. I feel like we've been asking the U.S. Open question since the middle of March. I mean, since Indian Wells was canceled here in the States, it's been a big topic, obviously writing for the New York Times. It's been, you know, front and center for us for a long time. Yes, I do think there are things that could derail it. I think it would take a, you know, a major resurgence of the pandemic, some sort of national uh, emergency or crisis beyond what we have now that could make it impossible for people to get from state to state. Those kind of things could potentially derail it closer to the, uh, the program start date, but I think that's unlikely now. I think, we're going to see a a U.S. Open, in my view. I've been feeling pretty confident about it for a while. But yeah, I mean, I think nothing is sure. We saw with Indian Wells. I mean, until the eve of the tournament, nothing's really sure because if an issue arises and this thing can go quickly, as you and Melbourne and Australia know too well, and we certainly know in the States because we're still dealing with it in a lot of the country in in a pretty major way. Um, So I think it's we won't really be out of the woods until until you can really (laughs) start the darn tournament the day of, you know, in some ways.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, tennis administrators have had a a year that, they could never have predicted coming and, and a bit like politicians, I mean, just trying to, trying to work through this uh, pandemic and, and tennis being probably the toughest of all sports to get back fully functional because of the global nature of it and obviously different situations around the world. Just, just from a USTA point of view, I mean, you're close on the ground there in, in the US. How do you think they're handling it? And obviously they've got you know, many reasons for wanting to stage the US Open and it's easy for people on the outside and some players and others to, to criticise but how do you think they've handled it in the build-up to uh, what is going to be a very different looking US Open?
4: You know, frankly, you know, it's really quite similar to the situation in Australia. I mean, Tennis Australia is the governing body for tennis in your country and basically funds a lot of what goes on throughout the year. And uh, the sport really depends on that uh, income to be able and revenue to be able to function properly to what they're used to. You can argue over, you know, how they allocate the monies and which way it should go sometimes in terms of what their priorities are, but you can't debate that. And it's similar in the US. Um, the USTA basically funds much of what happens in tennis in this country, mm-hmm. and so that the money that they can preserve, and they have a very big, you know, and good television contract with ESPN and the international broadcasters, they can preserve a lot of their income. So if they feel they can do it safely and not damage the image of tennis, basically get I think a representative field, I think they feel it's worth doing, and I, I give them a lot of credit. I really do. I mean, there's been a lot of critics. Obviously, you know, you shouldn't be thinking about this. This is an appropriate but look around right now. I mean, you got the NBA starting in the U.S., the NHL, our hockey league is starting, Major League Baseball for better or worse, which is going from stadium to stadium and city to city. It's having a big problem, they're starting, so I don't see why tennis shouldn't try if they have a controlled environment, but it's going to be, you know, it's going to be tricky, and the field will not be full, we know that already with the Ash party situation
2: Yeah, it's been interesting to read some quotes I've just got one here, I was reading from Andy Murray on the weekend, you know, I've missed it, missed it a lot, the situation I've been in the last few years I've not had an opportunity to play many slams I don't know how many I have left, I'm willing to take a risk and go and play, I mean there's probably two types of people in the world there's the risk takers, and there's the more conservative people who don't maybe take that risk, and obviously the fields are going to start to take shape, and we've already you know, heard the names that haven't got on the entry list at Cincinnati, and whether that flows on totally to the US Open, we'll, uh, we'll find out in the next few days, but players would fall into both categories, those who are just not prepared to go there, and there are those as the independent contractors that they are, who just want to get back out and do what they love, but also start to earn a living again.
4: I think that's right, and I think with the uncertainty about next year as well, um, and the end of the season, I think uh, Madrid tournament, which is a big tournament for the men and women, and it's been rescheduled to September is likely to be cancelled now, based on government edicts or government advice, anyway. So they're going to be not too many paydays for players. So this is one that looks like it's a pretty sure thing, and it's a good payday. So you have the categories of people who, you know, are risk takers or not, and you have the categories of those who really need the money and those who don't. So it's that situation as well comes into play. And a lot of tennis players, I mean, you're pushing along five months now. You got people to pay, you got physios, you got coaches, you got uh, rents and apartments and things like that around the world. This is could be getting tough for players. So they need to be able to get some sort of solid uh, income too.
2: So on the Madrid situation, obviously that's really come to light in the last few days and it seems likely, just you know, reading all the reports with that outbreak in in northern Spain with the spike in coronavirus cases, that Madrid is unlikely. This has been sort of the sticking point of players post the US Open going back to Europe and the whole quarantine situation and we certainly mentioned on our show last week that obviously all the bodies have been working together so that the players don't have to quarantine. They can get the, the documentation or the paperwork if you like to allow them to get back into Europe. Uh, but that from what we reported last week still hadn't been totally signed off on. I think there'd been a verbal agreement. Do you know where all that sits? Because that clearly has been a bit of a sticking point for players, particularly from Europe, deciding whether to come to the US Open.
4: Look, I'm not in those meetings just like you aren't. My understanding from talking to people that are doing that sort of uh, back and forth is that it has progressed quite a lot. They're much more optimistic than they were about a month ago about it. Yeah. I think when the initial European Union you know sort of ban on the average American traveller or tourist came along, people would go, Oh man, this is gonna be tough. They'd Made a lot of progress. Of course, it could be a moving target, too, Brett. Because if Spain's called off Madrid, I mean, there's not going to be any Spanish tournament. The reason to go to Spain, is you're going to have to go into Italy, maybe, or yeah. or right into France to get ready for the French. So I think there's a very good chance, from what I'm hearing, that the there won't be a, any kind of quarantine for people coming out of the U.S. Open bubble, for lack of a better word, into Europe. And I think that'll be helpful to getting their field. And I also think that if Madrid, as looks likely, is canceled this week coming up, um, you're going to see other players who might have been on the fence about the U.S. Open, going, "Well, I better go yeah, get myself a tournament." And get over there, and I'll have time no matter what to come back to Europe and play the French Open if they do indeed
2: have that. Well, of the biggest names, Nadal he's on the entry list for uh, Cincinnati, but there's you know this huge school of thought from what we've been seeing in terms of his practice and so forth, and we know how dominant he's been at the French Open that he was always unlikely to come. And then there's a the talk of Djokovic, whether he's going to come or not. What do you expect uh, of those two? Do you think they'll get to New York?
4: I think unless there's a major change here in the situation, in public health in the New York area, or something changes in terms of the travel. Situation, Situation. I think you'll see Novak in New York. I really do. Rafa, I still think is unlikely, but I don't think it's out of the question, partly because of what's happening with Madrid. But I, I would be surprised to see Nadal come to uh, to New York. But Novak, I think from what I hear, you know, it's a lot of communication back and forth. And I think after what happened with his Adria tour, perhaps he's ready to come over and help out the sport again in some ways and kind of get himself back out there and, and support the general effort. He's been a big part of this in many ways, this whole uh, pandemic period, you know, for good and for not so good as well.
2: Chris, I know you've been a big fan of world team tennis. No? I've been catching, you know, Parts of it uh, over here, and obviously, you know, it came down to a, a thrilling finish. And I love the whole sort of college tennis setup as well over in the states. And I experienced a bit of that at Indian Wells going back last year when I sort of went out in the back courts for an intended twenty minutes. It turned into two hours because I was just <laughs> gripped by uh, just the passion. But world team tennis has certainly got a following. It's a chance for players to earn money. There've been no COVID positive tests out of that event. It's had good TV coverage. I mean, just a more holistic question about how tennis should look going forward. I mean, Patrick Moritoglu's got his thoughts on having this sort of secondary tour, if you like. Yeah, you've got the traditions of the slams and the tour and then having alternatives, a bit like cricket, having their shortened versions of their sport around the world. I mean, as someone who's covered tennis for a long time, has it given you more time to think about what the sport should look like and how it should present itself?
4: Let me first say that, you know, it's a minor problem compared to the world's problems. But my issue watching tennis during the pandemic has been I turn the television on and I don't know when the set ends. I don't know what format they're playing because everything changes from Format to format from event to events with all these exhibitions so I'm kind of looking forward to knowing it's going to be six games wins a set with the tiebreaker coming however long the tiebreaker is going to last now of course that's different everywhere you go but I do think it makes you think about it I wouldn't say I'm a big big fan of world team tennis but I am a fan I've, I've watched a lot of it and I think it's been a, a worthy effort it's it's really made a I think improve their position as a as an event it's been you know fairly microscopic in the U.S. to be honest there's so much going on that time of year in the U.S. summer over here with sports right. because of the situation it's had a window to be able to get some more coverage and it's done that it's basically a you know, very American-centric in terms of the players, in terms of the exposure. But the spirit's been great. I give them a lot of credit for taking on a big challenge and basically making it work. I don't know how extensive the testing was in the whole World Team Tennis community, but I know within the player group and the the core group, it was it was quite well done, from what I hear. And they obviously were occupying a hotel that was actively being you know occupied by other people as well. It was a big place, the Greenbrier. It's got a lot of outside guests, so it was a complicated environment to manage. But as far as your question about the sport itself, it does make you wonder because World Team Tennis is maybe people don't know in Australia, but it's you win their five matches. Each match only lasts to five games. So it's very quick hitting. A couple hours for a match and you get a bit of everything in tennis. It's kind of a smorgasbord. Women's doubles, mixed doubles, men's doubles, men's singles, women's singles, all kind of boom, boom, boom. And me, I'm a big fan of traditional best of five duels and the big marathons of Novak and Rafa not being able to stand after their Aussie Open final and things like that. But it makes you think that, you know, this is maybe uh, something to explore more and more, this idea of maybe not in the biggest events yet, but in some of the smaller events, this quick hitting sort of style because it just gives you not much time to kind of wander off it, it's all it's all impactful and
2: it's got a lot of good spirit too tennis like all sports has got to keep staying ahead don't they in terms of uh, the product and, and capturing uh, particularly those new viewers can I ask you Chris are you a fan of Nick Kyrgios do you like Nick Kyrgios or you, where do you sit with Nick Kyrgios he's I mean obviously a fascinating figure for us he's come out on the weekend he's done a, a viral video I'm not going to the US Open Stated his reasons yeah. he's been having this social media back and forth banter with uh, a a lot of players, particularly those involved in the uh, Adria Tour, he's a fascinating figure for talkback radio over here. Easy to criticise, then there are those who just love the fact of how individual he is and that he does express what he really thinks. Because most sports people don't tell us what they they really think until they maybe write a book, uh, post their career, or uh, jump in the media. But where do you sit on on Nick Curios? Because he is one that fascinates journalists and broadcasters all over the world.
4: You're a journalist. I'm a journalist. It's not my job to like or not like Nick, and I, I wouldn't. I don't think I I could say that. Like or don't like Nick. I mean, I, but I do feel like ultimately, if he can avoid some of the early things that happened in his career, where he basically, I thought, turned some matches into shams, lack of effort. I think the very integrity of the game is affected by that, and I think that's that's very negative. But if he can avoid that kind of behavior, and he largely has in recent years, I think he's very good for tennis. And I think anybody who knows the game, people I respect who have been around for 40, 50 years, much longer than I have, all look at the guy's game, and and they're still gaping at it, going, My goodness, what can what can he do out there? It's amazing. So yeah. there's that part of it, the shot making, and not everybody's design. To be a, a maximizer of their ability or being able to fully explore their talents. Look at people like Ilya Nastasi in the back in the past in tennis, things like that, that didn't fulfill their full potential, no doubt. And I also feel like Nick, you know, as long as he's being true to himself, and he looks like he's sometimes a bit confused about what signal he wants to send based on the month or the week, frankly. But I think in this situation, he's been pretty consistent. I personally don't agree with some of the things that he thinks about the COVID 19 situation. I think some players are trying to create jobs and, and make things happen in a world that's a bit in crisis. Nick seems to be hands off. We can't, you know, find any way to make things work and nor should we we should respect um, the situation fully that way and kind of back away I would disagree with that but I think his his sentiments about the importance of public health and the importance of of doing things the right way and tennis has given us examples Brett the Adria tour with Djokovic where it wasn't done the right way I think that's uh, he's very right to speak up about that and too often that doesn't happen in a sport like tennis where everybody's worried about their next meeting in the locker room with the guy Nick is taking people on you can disagree or agree with that but I, I find it in some ways refreshing that he's willing to uh, put it out there like that
2: first starting figure that's yeah you really it
4: is. Not, not just in Australia, and all over the world. I mean, yeah. you said Kyrgios, people who follow the sport, they all have the same reaction.
2: Yeah, I've sat in many uh, media conferences at all the slams just to watch the reaction of the international journalists after a Nick Kyrgios press conference. And, uh, it is fascinating. You lose uh, plenty of people with a lot of thoughts as to who is the real uh, Nick Kyrgios. And one final one for you, just on an Aussie theme. We know Ash Barty's not going to go, and we, we certainly got that feeling all along her and her team. We're very reluctant to go to New York. Whether she goes to Paris had to be decided in the next few weeks. I know you a a big fan of her game. And you know the women's game, I suppose, had become fairly predictable across the board in the way players play. She's a breath of fresh air, probably going to be tough in the current climate of women's tennis for her just to totally dominate with her style and just how close and competitive it is around that top 10, top 20. It's disappointing for New York. And I know you did tweet this the other day that they don't have the world uh, number one, but they can sort of get through because she isn't sort of that dominant, powerful, number one presence of, say, Serena, who's occupied that spot for so many years. But no doubt any tennis tournament, as you mentioned, I agree with you, is, is poorer when Ash Barty isn't playing because of what she brings to the tennis court.
4: Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about absolute turn terms, from a U.S. perspective, if you said, well, you're you not going to get Serena Williams, you're going to get Ash Barty, or you're going to get Ash Barty, you're not going to get Serena Williams, it's pretty obvious what people here would choose at this point, just based on what Serena can bring to the tournament. But for people, you know, looking for the U.S. Open to be what it should be, which is a the ultimate test and what it would be in a normal year, you want Ash Barty here. Ash Barty is your number one player, deservedly so. And it's certainly not a period where one player is dominating, but she's won her slam at the French Open. Got awfully close at the Australian Open this year. Um, he won the WTA finals. She's number one by a large margin. So her not being here certainly hurts a tournament. We are in a situation in the U.S. where we have a lot of uh, star power in women's tennis. So I think the women's tournament will be pretty strong without her anyway. If you have people like Serena, someone like Muguruza who's playing who had a great Australian Open, the American stars coming up like Coco Gauff not sure about We'll see. So Naomi Osaka's committed to play. Those are all important players. So, but to me, there will be a, a bit of an asterisk around the tournament if people like Barty and Halep don't play, um, which it appears they won't. In terms of Barty's already said so, and I think Halep will go that way. But I, you know, I I'm a huge fan of her game, and I love what. She represents, which is the all-court style, use of you know change of pace, spin, thinking out there. And I do think if she can solve more and more of her big match issues, she's done a good job so far in recent years. She's number one, but even get better mentally in some of those situations, a bit like Federer did during his career. She has the goods and the ability to win a lot of big titles. She will not just be a a one-slam wonder in my view.
2: Thank you, Chris. Stay safe in Boston. Uh, We'll see how the week unfolds as we keep using the term fluid with this whole (laughs) coronavirus. What happens today could be very different tomorrow. We'll wait and see, but right now, it's a tick for the U.S. Open to proceed, and we'll see what the next uh, ten days to two weeks looks like. Thank you for joining yeah, we're us.
4: Good to be all in Australia. Hope everything goes all right.
2: Great to catch up with the voice of Christopher Clary, the New York Times tennis correspondent. You can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris T O P H C L A R E Y. Yarra Tennis Coaching, Melbourne's award-winning coaching program, has been at Eaglemont Tennis Club since 2002. A shout out to Shane Scrutton and all his team. They've been great supporters of ours. Unfortunately, in this stage four lockdown, like all the tennis clubs, are going to have to shut up again. But I'm sure he and the team will be back out there before we know it. And you can head to their website, yarratennis.com.au, to get some great coaching lessons when uh, the tennis courts do reopen. Plenty to come on The First Serve, your home of tennis.
1: The First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Green Life Group. Celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. GLGCorp.com
2: well, here at The First Serve, we're more than just one hour on SCN each week. We're providing tennis content right throughout every week. If you miss us live on a Monday any week, you can catch up as well as taking our three dedicated podcasts, Aussies Only, Crunching the Numbers, and In the Huddle, thanks to Study and Play USA. Thefirstserve.com.au is where you need to log on to weekly. Our live radio and podcast pages has all our shows and podcast editions archived to listen to at your convenience, so whether on your phone, desktop, tablet, however else you listen to to us. You can click on the web player direct or you can subscribe to the First Serve via your preferred podcast platform and there are plenty out there and you'll get all our content each week as it does drop. And one of our podcasts, as I mentioned, is Crunching the Numbers, hosted by high-performance coach Mark Cefoulis, who over the weekend has launched the Tennis Menu. It looks great. Coaches, athletes, parents, tune in. Mark has taken me through it.
0: A little while in the making but uh, yeah look it's just good to finally have it up and running and we've had it running for about uh, about a month now. We had some what we call a private diners club which we invited about 20 subscribers to uh, to become lifelong members of the tennis menu and basically just been doing some back-end uh, work and up and running and making sure it all, all the nuts and bolts are working really well and um, getting some feedback from our, our private diners and, uh, and now we've launched as of the weekend which was awesome to see and you know obviously Nick is And myself have been working tirelessly for years, you know, as a second job basically, just to get this up and running. So it's good to finally be there.
2: Well, Mark, let's run through the menu, so to speak. So this is for athletes, it's for parents, it's for coaches—three extremely important stakeholders in the sport that we love. So let's sort of get people just to visualise the uh, the tennis menu. Let's click through and tell people about the important parts and and how it can really benefit them. Yeah, what we offer is basically a one-stop shop
0: for developing an athlete, uh, developing parent, parental um, understanding of the game and developing some ideas for coaches to be able to utilize. And that's the kind of idea that we've gone with is ensuring that everybody gets something from it. Now we have a range of uh, drills to be able to do on court. Like at the moment, we have really focused in on the technical intervention. So making sure we have drills to uh, correct some, some incorrect stroke mechanics of players. Uh, we've got some videos based on how to parent a tennis child. Uh, We've got some blog posts that go up weekly to educate people not only on what the game of tennis is doing right at the moment, but tools to develop um, yourself or your athletes. Um, And it's literally going to evolve as time goes on. We've we've got so much in the making that we want to have from uh, tactical drills to, uh, to perceptual based learning, uh, we're going to have some coach education platforms on there. We've got sports science experts that are uh, e- educating people on the, the holistic approach to programming an athlete. Um, and if you think about a tennis lesson, so you know most tennis coaches will charge between 90 to $150 an hour, say on average. Uh, we're looking at $99 uh, for a year subscription to basically... Uh, to have all the tennis needs that you need. Obviously, then you add on some some tennis science, which is there as well as an addition. But for under sort of $150, $200 a year, you basically get access to a full-time coaching staff and sports science network. And uh, we're going to continually grow it and develop it. But it's just um, it's just something that I wanted to do to be able to uh, let people into my, my brain, really. And yeah. I wanted to just take everything that I've learned over 25 years in coaching, Ellie, really, and, and put it into an online visual platform.
2: It, it sort of suits uh, the time that we're in, Mark, is that all of us are a little restricted, and obviously, the world of tennis. So, here in Melbourne, we're going to stage four. So, that affects what you do, and, and so many tennis clubs and coaches around Melbourne, not to be able to physically uh, get out on court, but we're learning just in general day life. I mean, you and I they're talking over Zoom here and Microsoft Teams. We're learning all this technology to still keep the conversation going. The tennis menu is something that people can, you know, put in their back pocket, as you say, pay the subscription wherever they are around the world, depending on what they can do, they can, they can access material that can keep developing them on this tennis journey. Absolutely, 100%. So we've got uh, 600 tennis drills online at
0: the moment, and there's 200 mobility, flexibility, and stability activities from Limber with Lauren. Uh, Shane Leonage, my co-host of the Crunching the Numbers podcast, he's uh, put together 10 of the, uh, some of the most important data statistics in the game, and we break that down and how to utilise that practically on the court. Um, he's going to be adding to that week in, week out, which is which is super. So it's all there at your fingertips to be able to learn and develop. And that's, you know, over time, I've I realized that you can only coach so many people face-to-face. Yeah. But when you go to an online platform, you have the ability to reach so many people. So we've got uh, some of our subscribers are from Finland. We've got America. We've got we've got New Zealand. We've got uh, through Asia. And it's amazing to already have subscribers all over the world. And uh, it's, it's exciting for me as a uh, someone who, has grinded the 12 hour days on the tennis court to be able to now sit back and go, well, Here's my ideas, guys. Have a look at them and, and hopefully you can learn something from it. So it, it's more of a stimulating thoughts package, which is, you know, what I wanted to do is to create ideas for people who really think about what they're currently doing and be able to remodel and rework what they've currently got to be able to help themselves become better at whatever field
2: they're in. What did you think the sport was sort of crying out for? Because you've got your coaching philosophies and, and we, we see that come through when people listening to Crunching the Numbers with you and Shane each week and we really get a a feel for how you coach and how you uh, think about uh, coaching and and that can vary right across so many coaches uh, around the world with their own philosophical ideas but in creating something like this what was maybe the trigger if you like to putting something together like this?
0: Yeah it's a a really good question because I was I, I go back years I've been doing coach education throughout Australia and all over the world for the last 14 years and literally the question i get asked is do you have a drill for this and do you have a drill for that and what kind of drills can i do to create this and that was a question i constantly got i always get emails and facebook messages and instagram messages to say well do you have a drill to help me with this and then come to the think of it and i was like well i've got so many activities but in my own brain i can't keep them all there so i was like well i need to jot them down and then i need to put them into video form so i can show people what activity they could utilize to be able to help people out um, and we've got you know so many uh, problems in the game from technical, tactical, physical, psychological, uh, from scheduling, from travel, from whatever it might be, you know, how, how to schedule your your whole year. And I thought, you know what, if I can put this into video form, yep. I can actually help solve so many people's questions in one. And that was the, the thought process was let's just jot a few ideas down and video a few drills. And then when I got together with Nick Gissing, who's brilliant at the at the technology side of it, he said to me, No, oh, I think we can do more with it than just putting drills together. So it evolved from there and we've we'll just continue Really evolved it we've got some great people on board to help us out and yeah hopefully we can I think I've got two and a half thousand more drills to film so Nick doesn't like me at the moment but um, there's so much more to add to the to the database that we're um, just going to keep keep adding it and keep supplying
2: new ideas for people to help help them look good. so I get the athlete side of it I get the coaches side of it and I've always felt I mean just having been involved in community sport across uh, the journey that we don't often maybe do enough in the parent space and as we know in the tennis journey the parents are a huge part of it in an individual sport they're right there and some of them are coaching directly and others are putting the faith into coaches outside of their family sort of in the sanctum just tell us how you've come up with the sort of parental concepts and and the key messages there because that is so important if a player is going to actually forge a career to have the structure around them to be really really sound Uh, it's
0: it's 100% needed is because the parent spends more time with the athlete than the coach so the parent will always speak to the player, no matter what, no matter whether the coach doesn't want that to happen, it's always going to happen. The car ride home, the car ride to the tournament, you know, sitting around the dinner table, there's always conversation around the game. And one of the things that I find as a coach is I want to bring the parent with us. It's a team. We've got to create a great team around an athlete. But if the parent is well educated, then they are going to be able to help the coaches a lot better. So we see parents go on court with their with their child constantly. Now, if you've got access to the drills and the reasons why you do the drills, and then the key things to look for, the parent can really help the coach out, and that's basically what we want as coaches is to bring the team as one, the same language, the same terminology, the same focus points. Um, and if you know a coach can put, push the player, in, uh, the player and the parent to say, "Hey, go and do drills A, B, C, and D from the tennis menu." Um, have a look at what they they focus on then at least the, the parent has got a bit of a structure as to what to do on the court so it is you know hopefully we we've, we've can educate right across the board all three components coaches athletes and players to be able to unify the the messaging, the language, and and make sure that you know the, the development is together rather than everyone working in silos, and and that's what a great team does. That's what a great player has is a is a great team working behind them. So that was the concept behind the parenting, and you know I just hope parents out there can help their kids by you know obviously reading up on our blogs and and reading up on different things that we put out, and obviously looking at the videos.
2: No doubt, it all uh, makes a, a lot of sense. Let's direct people as they're listening, Mark. Uh, how do they find the tennis menu and go in there and and set up a subscription
0: yeah go on to www.thetennismenu.com and when you get there, basically there's so many options. There's so much free downloadable drills. There's downloadable books, blogs, etc. For free already. So you can actually navigate your way through. Have a look at 28 of our free drills that we've already got online. You can have a look at how it's structured, how it's formatted. Uh, you can look at all of our blogs there for free. Uh, we've also got a podcast up there. We've got so many things you can access just at the, at the click of your fingers. And if you like what you see, obviously you know, click on for a. I think it's $8 a month, you know, and if you, if you can do that, you can literally get on and, and see what we're all about. It's, it's quite different. Not many uh, different websites that have these drills structured the way we do it. And, you know, we want to be able to give back to the tennis community that you know, has given so much to me as a, as a coach and a player over so long. And, you know, I love the game and I want kids to be able to continually love the game. Obviously, it's a challenging situation, but, you know, if we can keep tennis at the forefront of our mind continually, we keep the sport going, keep our kids engaged. It's, uh, it's the most amazing sport to teach life lessons as well as tennis lessons so You know, get on on top of it, at uh, The Tennis Menu, and hopefully uh, we can educate you the best way possible to to continually develop your game.
2: Make sure you check it out, thetennismenu.com. It is a no-brainer to sign up. Starting from scratch, offer premium glass repair. They're great supporters of ours. They specialise in the removal of window scratches, bringing it back to its uh, former glory, whether it's that uh, dog just uh, scratching the sliding door to the local milk bar that's been graffiti tagged with a knife. They can certainly remove it. Uh, get on to Mecca and his team, starting from scratched.com.au. Back with the last part of our show tonight.
1: The First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group. Celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. GLGcorp.com.
2: Great to have you with us for another week here on The First Serve. Brett Phillips with you tonight. One thing we know is that our listeners catch us right around the world, either live or listening back via podcast. Sean Hingston was Melbourne born and bred, but he made New York his home and I chatted to him Earlier today,
5: everybody's wearing masks. There's only about 20% ridership on public transport, so you can you feel like you can socially distance the whole time. There is sanitizer everywhere you go, and definitely our numbers, the coronavirus numbers, have been dropping over the last two weeks. They dropped about 15%. So we're sort of similar numbers to Melbourne. More deaths here. I think we had 15 deaths yesterday, but about 650 new cases every day. But the rest of the country is, I don't know what's going on with the rest of the country. It's crazy.
2: Tell us the background of how you found us uh, the first serve. We know that there are a lot of people who listen to our show live across Australia around the world. We also have a lot of people who listen to us in podcast form. We get all those figures in and it fascinates me who's listening and where people are listening around the globe. You went across to New York to chase a bit of a dream many years yeah. ago. Tell us a bit about your professional background and how you stumbled across us which leads into your love of tennis.
5: You keep talking about the diehard fans and I'm putting my hand up going, yet? Yeah, I would be a diehard tennis fan. I've I've lived in New York City since about 1990 two I came over here I'm an actor I do like musical theatre and TV and film and um, I had a lot of luck pretty pretty yeah, quickly and so uh, it was a pretty good sign that I should stay and I've built my whole life and career here I mean I spent half of my life in Melbourne now half of my life here but I've always been a big tennis fan and uh, I found you guys so I'm always scrolling for tennis news everywhere you know <laughs> across the internet and when I found I found like a Twitter post or a uh, Instagram post of you guys and started following following that I think and the podcast immediately after that yeah but I you know <laughs> I, I I have some funny tennis stories about meeting see as an actor I meet a lot of celebrities right a lot of actors and that's fine I can get along with fine no comments, but if I see tennis players I kind of I lose or I lose courage and I, ha- I had that experience with Boris Becker and with Kim Kleisters, you know trying to say hello to them and then just totally just totally losing it yeah but um I, they uh I've such a an admiration for the athletes that uh, play tennis they're, they're incredible I've been love going to the open and. Actually, when my daughter was, played tennis through high school and all of her high school matches used to actually be at the tennis centre. So I've been there with massive crowds and I've been there when I've been the only person on the grandstand when my kids play Aussie Open a couple of times. Davis Cup final in Melbourne in 2003 was one of the highlights. Also been to the Brisbane International and Miami Open. Um, but yeah, definitely the Open. pretty much every year. as a group. I've got friends and we, we all go together. And my daughter loves it too. And the great thing about the US Open, of course, is they put all the Aussies on the outside courts for the first two days. You get to see them all. One, like You've you you sort of keep you've got them all so you can run around and, and see them all, which is great for those first two days when everybody's got to play. So uh, that's a great thing to do.
2: And the other thing that uh, you and I have discussed in a bit of correspondence is our connection with the Fitzroy Football Club, because that's still very deep in my heart. I've got my Fitzroy scarf in the office here, which just reminds me of my great love for Fitzroy. And, of course, your grandfather, Eric Hingston. I mean, when you told me the surname and I linked it all up, and when you think back to Fitzroy in the 90s, 1980s when they had a really, really good team and they were playing great footy. And he's a little trainer who was part of that, always waving the white towel. He'd be right in amongst them. He never missed a game.
5: The uh, home games at the Junction Oval, we'd Gran had set the cushions out for all the five kids and we'd all turn up and sit in the member stand with her and watch Gramps down there running on and running off. And uh, that was the most exciting time of my life, that, that AFL stuff. I'm so thrilled that now I can see AFL here on the ESPN2. They play it. So it's great to be able to see it again because it's a long time when I, I couldn't see any AFL. But, um, yes, huge fit for my whole family, my dad, I think, played for the under 19s, and my gramps was there the, his whole life. He was a life member in the end. What I say to people about Australia <laughs> is that the, the football or sport is like is, is more like religion, is here in, in Australia, especially in Melbourne. Co- coming from Melbourne, the AFL, it's like who do you barrack for? Who do you sport? Yeah, That's, yeah. It's such a religion that and it's great to be able to see it again here. It's terrific. And the Lions are doing so well. But you're not following the Brisbane Lions, I know that, but I am, and they're doing so well right now
2: on the tennis. I mean, as a tennis fan, say like on the on the on the men's side, do you enjoy the continued rivalry of the big three? Are you wanting these young guys to, to really
5: uh, break through? And and what about on, on on the women's side? I probably prefer the women's game. I just find I don't I don't know why it is. I just like I, I like I like the way they play tennis. Um, I follow Ash Barty is incredible. So she's such a great player to be able to watch. The men's game though, yeah, I really want somebody to come up and, and win one of these slams. Um, whether it's Team or Zverev or you know, even Nick Kyrgios on the right day, or you know, I, I love what's going on with Australian men's tennis right now and women's tennis. The men, being at the ATP Cup, I was there for Australia versus Canada that particular day in January. That was such an exciting time to see Australian tennis in full flight. You know, Deminar and Norman, oh, it was so great, so great. But I've, you know what? I know Sam, of course, is your co-host and I've managed to catch a few of his matches over the years at the Aussie Open, at the US Open, at the Miami Open. Watched him play a lot. Big, booming serve. I loved the, the year you played, with, uh, played mixed doubles with Sam Stozer. That was pretty exciting at the Aussie Open. that year. Maybe it was his last year, I think. Yeah, they had a bit of a run. Yeah, but I love watching Sammy. I I went to uh, her first couple of rounds in 2011 the year that she won it. I was there courtside in those first couple of rounds which was uh, great to see her make that run. Millman I've seen a lot of Millman live, that's exciting and Jordan Thompson I saw, Tommy B. Isner recently at the New York, New York Open in uh, February this year, that was exciting too.
2: Sean, great to have you listening to our podcast, we really uh, love having you all over the globe and, uh, and spread the word, can you? If you can get to, what about 12 million New Yorkers onto us that'll increase the downloads magnificently spread <laughs> the word if you can.
5: The first serve it is.
2: Just a closing question Donald Trump. Are we going to have four more years of Donald or can uh, Sleepy Joe, as he's referred to, can he can he just galvanise everyone and oust what has been the most unconventional, unbelievable president we've ever seen? He's
5: disgusting. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I've met Joe Biden. He's not so sleepy and he's a really tall guy and he... Th- Thank me. <laughs> he thanked me because I, I became a dual citizen of Australia and the US. I actually, yeah, he's a great guy and I think he could do a great job. Trump is ridiculous. I mean, come on. Every day, the lies. The, he's he's like a sad fool on the hill at this point, just rotating. I honestly believe that last time, Putin in the election, Putin, the Russians, obviously the Russians had a lot to do with it, but they infiltrated 50 electoral offices, one in each state, one of every state. So the, that's going to happen again. So the question is how much they can... The vote could go ahead. That the election could go ahead and uh, get some kind of honest result with it. There's going to be really unusual. And then what will Trump say if it's a bit touch and go? He'll he'll call emergency powers. Anything could happen. I think it's going to be every model they they do comes up with uh, rioting in the streets so, <laughs> or protesting in the streets. So it, it doesn't look like it's. Um, hopefully, it'll all turn around.
2: Great to catch up with Sean Hingston in New York City in the borough of Brooklyn. There, a first serve fan. Let us know where you're listening around the world send us an email to the first serve sen at gmail.com the first serve at gmail.com give us your background tell us why and how you found us and we'll get in touch with you we'd love to get you on the show thanks to 100 words they're a network of active local communities with the aim of improving men's mental health and reducing male suicides. You can check out their great work at 100words.com.au They do some uh, really great work and it's a lot of people really doing it tough during uh, particularly uh, the lockdown here in Melbourne. But tennis continues to be. Certainly watch this space. Follow us at thefirstserve.com.au and on our socials, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We'll chat to you in a week's time here on The First Serve.
5: G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy Easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au.
4: T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP 01005.